Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is the award-winning author and genealogist, Kathy Lynn Marshall. And the topic for today is Quick Start Writing Your Ancestor's Story. Are you worried that you've been collecting ancestral information for years but haven't done anything with it? Well, Kathy Lynn Marshall will share her method for determining which book to write, how to get started, and how to finish strong to leave a written legacy for your family. Encouraging others bring their family stories into the American historical record that has become Kathy Marshall's passion. So let me just give a warm welcome to Kathy Lynn Marshall to the show. Welcome, Kathy. Welcome. Thank you so much, Bernice. It's a joy to be here. Well, it's a joy to have you. So get us going. What exactly do you mean by quick start? A quick start process means it's an, it's an organizational process, so it's a way to figure out who you want to write a book about and to really focus your efforts, just like you did, Bernice, with your book about Peter Clark. Focus your yes. efforts on one person. And so the quick start process has about five steps, and I'll just very briefly. There's a survey that I do at the beginning of every project to figure out who should I write the book about. And I can take us through that survey process in a couple of minutes. It's only five minutes long. Get a pencil and paper if you want to play. Um, but So I do a survey to focus my efforts first. Then I, I, I can encourage people to think about the end at the beginning. And what that means is think about what you want your output to be. You're a genealogist. You're collecting all this information. What do you want to do with it? For me, I want to write paperback books but you might want to do a documentary. And if you know that now, today, you need to know, well, I need to start making some videos of myself starting this process. You might want instead just to do a blog. You might want to do a newsletter. You might want to print out your efforts on your own home printer, staple them and hand it to your your family. You need to figure out what is the end product that you want right away, like today. 
Then create a book template, which I'll go into what that means. This is really important now. Write the book as you're doing the research. So when you find that inventory list, your, your, your ancestor on an inventory list, how do you feel about that? Write it right then into your book because we're going to talk about how to have your book set up today so you can do that. So, uh, and then, of course, you would create or publish it or finish your video. So those are the basic steps on the quick start process. But one through four, steps one through four, you can actually do today. And all the information you've already collected, you can put into your actual book today with this process. Okay, so know what, you're, know what you want when you get ready to start. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yep, because oh, if you okay. don't know what it is that you're wanting, you're just going to keep writing and, and collecting documents forever. And like Nika Smith says, you're going to find a bright and shiny object and it's going to take you way off course. Doing all this today keeps you on course, on track. So do you want to play? Take, take the survey? Yes, let's go for it. Okay, all right, so. Hopefully you have a pencil pen. If not, it's, it's a really easy process. Imagine that I am giving you right now a magic wand. And with that magic wand, it's going to take care of all of your responsibilities for 24 hours. So that means if you have children, you have a job, um, whatever your responsibilities are, the magic wand is going to take care of it so that you can visit with your favorite ancestor, whoever that is. Who is the person that you would love to write a book about? You can spend 24 hours with that person. doesn't matter where they lived, when they lived. You've got 24 hours. So here's the first question. Who, W-H-O, who would you want to spend 24 hours with and ask whatever questions you have about their lives and history? Who would that person be? Write it down. So for those who maybe are adopted and maybe you want to write a book about your mom, but you don't know who she is, you can put a question mark. Or if you can't think of anyone, you can just write your own name. Who would you want to write a book about? That's the first question. The second question is why, W-H-Y. Why did you choose that person? Why is that person so important that you would want to spend 24 hours just to be with them, speak about whatever, find out whatever information they have to tell you. Why are they important? Write that down. And, again, if, if we're going too fast, that's, that's fine. You, you know, at the end of the interview, you can fill these out. The next question would be, K-N-O-W, what three things do you already know about that person? Most of us genealogists have been collecting data for a while. Data, I mean documents. So that could be stories, it could be census records, it could be birth, death records, photos, whatever you've already collected. What three things do you already know about the person you want to spend time with? And then after that, where, W-H-E-R-E, where did that person live? So if you don't know where they live, that's understandable. Put a question mark. But if you do know where they live, Write down those places in the where section. And the last question is a concerns the research questions. 
what three things do you want to know about that person? So you, you're, you're 24 hours, you're back in the 1800s, you're with your third great-grandmother, or whoever you chose, and you're asking questions. What three questions do you really want that person to answer for you, to get you going, to get you started on your book? Okay, that's it. That's basically what the survey process is. And then, so Bernice, what would Ms. Uh, Dr. Shelley Murphy say after this? So what? Yep, so what? Why did you put <laughs> through that exercise, Kathy or Kanika, whatever you want to call me? So the survey is useful because it helps to focus you on what you think is important enough to spend the next months, not years, months, working on to create a, a book or, a, you know, whatever your outcome is, um, the blogs, the newsletters, the paperback book, whatever you want to spend. So here's, here's how you use it. Here's how you use the survey. The who is going to become the title of your book. The next phase in this process that I mentioned a few minutes ago is to create a book template. And what that is, many of you don't, don't know that if you want to uh, make a paperback book, you need to have everything about that book in one word processing document. That means all your photos, your charts, your text, Everything has to be in one document. So if you use Microsoft Word, you can open a new document, and on the first page, which will be the first page of your book, you put your who. The book is about this person. Just put it at the top of your first page of a new word processing document. And you are the author, so you would type your name at the bottom of that first page. So in this new, this is what we're making your book template. That's, that's what this means. It looks like a book. It's a, it's a word processing document that is structured to look like a book. So I recommend that people get your favorite genealogy books. I know y'all have purchased some books. I know you've purchased Bernice's book, right? And maybe you purchased some of mine. I don't know. But look at your favorite genealogy books and see what you like about them. Oh, oh I, like, I like this introduction. I want to put an introduction in my book. For me, I start off with the title page, who I'm writing about, then it's a copyright page, a dedication page, table of contents, and then I put an introduction in my book because it tells who the book is about and why it's important that I'm writing about them. And the introduction can also share what you want to learn about that person. So it can have your research questions. It prepares the reader for what the book is about. Also, it keeps you on track because periodically you can go back and review your introduction to make sure you haven't fallen off track. Uh, but look at, look at other books and see what they have. I like a timeline. And let me step back just a second. Those of you who have already collected information on this person that you are interested in, your who person. A lot of us collect a lot of documents, and some of us are <clears throat> disorganized. I was, and I put some documents in my computer, some in a box, some in three-ring binders. So here's the, here's the thing. Take that survey, take your who, and every document you've already collected about that person, put in a stack on a table. One stack. Just put them all in one stack. If you have documents in your computer, print them out for that who person, the person you want to write a book about. 
get everything you've already collected, stories. If you've already, a lot of folks I know have written a chapter already, take that chapter. Put it all together, put it in a stack, and then put it in chronological order, meaning starting with your birth date, if you have that information. We're going to do a Shelley Murphy right now. So you're going to make a timeline out of everything you've already collected. That's why this process is very helpful because it gives you a place to put everything you already know about that person. I know a lot of you have heard, start by writing what you already know. This is the way to do that. And so anyway, so I put a timeline in my book. I put family trees, uh, you know, just a, a, a graphic of how the family tree is, is uh, constructed or, you know, like a pedigree chart is what I usually use. And then your chapters. And for me, chapter one is always, who is the book about? Why am I writing the book? Who am I as a genealogist? Why am I interested in this? To kind of get the reader going. The second chapter for my books is usually what I already know. So for my Finding Oso book, I only had the 1870 and 1880 census. And so that's what I put in chapter two. I did a neighborhood analysis. I looked at who my Oso Williams' ancestor was in relation to his neighbors. You don't have to do it this way. I'm just giving you some ideas. Chapter three could be where, because you wrote that in your survey, right, where your ancestor lived. So that could be about that place where your ancestors lived and how did they treat black folks? You know, what, what was that situation like? Chapters four through whatever can be your research questions. And mine are usually who was the slave owner? Who were the parents? Did they fight in the Civil War? Like Bernice's subject, did they have land, right? You can have a lot of research questions. Um, I usually try to keep it to three to five for the book to focus it. And you can have a conclusion bibliography if you want. So that's how you would use that book template and your survey. That's how the survey is used. It's to help organize your book template. Now, with this template, I mean, I know that there's certain kind of uh, templates that you could use and just kind of plug this information in, like Scribner. Do you just use your own template, which is what you just mentioned, or do you actually have a template that you plug this information into? It's a good question. I have an Apple, so I use the Pages Word Processing Program. And so I set up my own, but I use what you said. I have a, um, I don't know if I mentioned this. I don't think I have. I create, created a Solving Your Mystery chapter for all of my books. And in that Solving Your Mystery chapter, I put all the steps that I personally use to write my books quickly. And so uh, in that Solving Your Mystery, Mystery chapter, I put what the book template is for me. But you can decide, because not everyone wants to have a dedication page or not, you know, maybe they won't have the introduction page, although I think it's really important. Not everyone will want to put the timeline in, but I think that's really important too. So I make my own template. It's listed in the Solving Your Mystery chapter of all of my books. Um, in the Ancestors Are Smiling book, it's only in the Kindle edition. But, um, but anyway, but it has the survey, it has all, my, all the data uh, resources that I look at that you, you Bernice, 
and the Black Progen Live and all these other experts at African-American genealogy that I've been listening to since 2016 when I started doing things right. And I put all those steps that I personally use in the Solving Your Mystery chapter. So, uh, yes, but as you said, once the template is developed, I copy and paste what I've already researched. I put all that information into the correct chapter. So if I've collected census records, I put it into the parents chapter because the census may have the parents of my person listed in there. I put it perhaps in the slave owner chapter if I know that they are, you know, the owner. So I everything I've already gathered, I take a picture of it with my smartphone or I otherwise copy it into my book template into the correct chapter. And that's how you can literally build 40 pages today if you just create the book template from, say, Microsoft Word, as an example, or in my case, I use pages. To me, that's the easier way. I have used Scribner. It's, it's not bad or anything, but because in order to print a book online, you have to have it in a word processing document, my thought is, well, why not just start that way? Why, mm-hmm. cr- why create it in some other something when you're going to have to put it in a word processing document anyway? If you want to upload it to uh, Kindle or you want to print it out, you want to send it to a local printer, it has to be in one document anyway. So just start that way, first day. So when you started, I mean, with the who and the what and when, where, you are basically documenting using facts. All of all of what you're gathering are facts about yep. the ancestor. At what point do you then put in some of your emotions about, well, how does it feel? Because you mentioned something about in the very beginning about you know an mm-hmm. enslaved ancestor. At what point do you start projecting uh, the emotions that are associated with that particular ancestor that you're writing about? That's a super good question because so many people are scared. When I mentioned this, they said, but I can't write. I don't know how to write. I, can't, I don't know how to spell. I don't know grammar good enough, good enough, that sort of thing. What I do is I have my chapters set up, and let's use as an example the slave owner. So I have a chapter that's labeled the slave owner. And underneath that, I start writing every single question that I have about that topic. And I start cutting and copying and pasting whatever I've already gathered right underneath the appropriate question. So let's say my question is, are there any probate records for this slave owner? And I find one. And it's an inventory list. I copy it right under that question. I just copy and paste the actual inventory sheet that has my ancestors listed on that. And right under that, I start writing. Don't worry about perfect sentences, please. This is not about perfect sentences. This is about getting the information in there right now. I'm going to write, I can't believe I saw my ancestor named right after all of the cattle were listed and right before the plows and the tools were listed. My ancestor was listed between the cows and the plows. And, I, and I'm writing this. I'm writing my thoughts, exactly what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I just type it in there initially. That's how I do it. 
I type it everything I'm thinking and feeling at that moment, and I don't worry about perfect sentences. I don't worry about spelling. I just put it in there, and I put, you know, I'm 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 happy. I'm I'm ecstatic that I found my ancestor in a document, but but they're but they're just property, and then you know that makes me feel sad, and then I'm really angry. I get angry a lot, Bernice. <laughs> At this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I do it. So initially, people, I don't worry about perfect sentences. And that is a big concern for almost everyone I present this to. They say, well, I can't, I don't know how to do that. So I'm, I'm sharing, this is how I do it. I start with just a question. Did the owner have a probate record? Bam, a question. And then I go and I research to see if I can find any. I actually copy them in. I, I take my smartphone or or. Or if it's online, I just take the URL and paste it in there. But I put the the actual graphic that I found, the document that I found, into my actual book. So it's right there. And I make sure that the citation is there where I found it, right there. Don't forget that because it's, it's hard afterwards. And then I write how I felt about it. You know, and it's okay. To me, that's the easiest way. Later, months later, I will come back through and I'll start cleaning up each chapter. I'll start eliminating and I'll start massaging and all that. But the first couple of months, I'm just putting data into the book. I'm putting information into the book and feelings. Right. Well, you, you're giving a really good point because you, you must write. And, and you're right. Don't, don't try to worry about the grammar. Just write. Get the thoughts out. Get the facts out. But share the feelings, and I, I really like your approach to finding something and then describing what it felt like when you found it. Mm-hmm. Right Same thing then with and a there. If if you see a photograph, like I, it's really helpful if you can, if you have the money, to take a genealogy trip to the place where your ancestors lived. I, we cannot stress the importance of it, and it's not just that you get documents in the courthouse. It's smelling and knowing that your ancestors walked right here. It's touching the earth. There's something about it that it brings you to a different level, and you can describe that. I always do a journal. I, I make a journal um, of all of my genealogy trips, and I write that sort of thing. I take pictures, and I write the feelings. And I take videos and I dictate what I'm feeling so that I can transcribe it later. So for those of you who, like me, are not great typists, you can always dictate a lot of your thoughts. Like if some of you are like me, you wake up with uh, uh, words coming out of So the ancestors are putting stuff in my head and saying, write this, write this, write it now. I will do that. And sometimes I just dictate it into my smartphone, these ideas, just portions of sentences. You can always hire an editor later who knows all that grammar stuff and is going to help you maybe reorganize it a little. Initially, just get your thoughts out, get the data out, uh, try to, you know, your, your analysis of the data to the degree that you can, but don't worry about the perfect sentences. I try to write every day. And if you write while you're doing your research, your book gets big real fast. Well, it gets big, and you really don't even realize it's getting big. 
It's and now another important thing is I don't know if I mentioned this, and this came from um, Anita Henderson at Genealogist Writing Room, a webinar that she gave in 2016. She said, create a first edition book. Now, what that means is that go through this focused exercise that we did, the survey. What questions do you want to answer? And, and just keep it at those questions. Keep the first book at those questions. For me, a person of a certain age, when I reach that next decade, the, what, what, what would that be, the seventh, going into my seventh decade? Is that what that is? Anyway, I started getting scared if I die tomorrow and all these binders I have in my research room are going to get thrown away by my kids because they don't know what to do with it. So I want to take everything for this first edition book that I've already gathered, ask three to five research questions that I want to tackle, and end it. And in the conclusion, I will restate, this is what I wanted to find, this is what I did find, and sometimes I just can't find the answers, but I'm going to publish the book anyway because I would rather have a 95% complete um, project in the hands of my family and in the research libraries and the libraries where my family lived. I'd rather have 95% of something rather than zero of nothing and then I pass away tomorrow. That's just how I look at it. And it's not being morbid. It's just being factual. So I, well, I can always go back, back to the, to the process again for a minute, mm-hmm. because with this quick start process, how long from the beginning to the end do you think it would take for someone using this process to have a manuscript? Well, for myself, I started October 1st, 2016, my first book was published July 2017, so that was, what, nine or ten months for that book. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. my friend Camille, I don't know if you're listening, Camille, Camille's sister, John, sister, sister Genealogy Johnson, she and I were in a Maggie class last July, July 2019, and she told me she used this process for her book, and she published it early this year. Again, about nine or ten months. It depends on the person. Um, If you still have a family, you're responsible for children and all that, and you have a full-time job, it's hard. I'm retired. I don't, this is all I care about. So I work nonstop. But what the Quick Start program does is it allows you to today, You literally the first day I had 50 pages in my book. And it made me feel so good because I'm writing a book. I'm actually writing a book. And when your friends come to you and say, girl, what you been doing with yourself? And you say, and, and I always recommend that people print out these, these draft books periodically. So I always have my draft book with me in my purse. I pull it out and I say, oh, I'm writing a book about my, my great-great-grandfather. And said, what? So that's the beauty of the quick start process is you actually see that you are writing a book. And when you get a new piece of information, you know exactly where to put it. You know which chapter to put it in. Just dump it in there initially. If you have lots of thoughts and you can write something at that time, that is the best. Write what's going on in your head at that time so you don't have to remember later. Just So this gives you a format, a platform, uh, a place to put your research 
immediately. And then you can do the analysis as you get time, and you can do more writing as you get time. But you know that it's in there. Again, please please put the citation of wherever you find your information at the time. Put it in your book template because it can be murder sometimes to try to remember, where did I find that document? So, now, are you, the as the writer, as, as, mm-hmm. as the writer, are you kind of on an island by yourself, or, or do you encourage individuals to become a part of a writer's group or to get a, a an accountability partner, somebody that could help make certain that you stay on target? Oh, my gosh. I'm a member of three writing groups because I was a technical writer for the California Highway Patrol for 36 years. Technical writer is the facts, nothing but the facts, ma'am. And I don't want to do that for these books. I want these books to be funny and sad and maddening, and I want my grandchildren to want to read them. And so I joined writing groups. I am a member of a weekly writing group that meets every Monday. It happens to be all seniors, um, but we read 2,000 words every week. So that keeps us a little bit honest in that I have to write at least 2,000 words, which is about four or five pages every week. And it's wonderful because we get immediate feedback from, you know, does it make sense to them? They give some suggestions, and that's really wonderful. Uh, Again, I would probably recommend doing that maybe after the first month of collecting this information. Um, because most of us are not comfortable as writers. That's just my personal opinion. I would feel more, I felt more comfortable after had something that I could say, (laughs) something that I could write. Like as an example, the where chapter, the chapter on where your family lived, you you can do that right away once you know where they lived. And again, a census document will tell you where they lived. Um, So, I I think it is important, and the accountability issue, it depends on the person. I'm a self-starter, but if you're not a self-starter, I'm sure that that would be helpful to have that accountability partner. And that's a person who would call you every week, hey, how many many words did you write, or or how many chapters, or what did you work on this last week, or what are you going to work on next week? And so I think that's important. The other groups that I'm a member of, we don't really critique. They're not... Well, that's not true. I have a a black women's right group, and we do a little bit of critiquing, but it's real short stuff, writing prompts. So, yeah, that's very helpful. But, again, always remember, you can hire an editor, or you might have a friend who's really good with English, and they'll look at your work and can help tighten it up later. But I think, Bernice, you're asking about the composing your paragraphs and composing your book. And that is indeed helpful to get other people who may know more than we know about that aspect. So let me just kind of switch the script for a minute and just talk to you. I mean, I know you've published three books. And Mm -hmm. so just tell us about your goal for writing these books. Well, number one, it's that I'm the only – we have a wonderful family historian named Lavada Williams on my mother's side. She did a great job before computers and for our 1983 family reunion. 
Um, and she wrote up a 22-page booklet that she gave all the families. It was a Genesis version of genealogy, meaning who beget who beget who, where they lived, and the dates, which is really important. But I wanted more. I wanted to have an idea of how my ancestors lived. So I want to leave a legacy of history of our ancestors to my kids and grandkids and, and on. And I want to have, as you said earlier, uh, Bernice in the introduction, I want, (laughs) I'm sick and tired about our children going through American history class and not seeing anything about our African-American history except two pages on slavery. Maybe it's better now than it was when I was going to school a million years ago, but I want our families to become part of the American historical record. That means I want our stories to be covered uh, on the websites, in the news, in other, you know, in the libraries, available in the black uh, bookstores. Like we have a wonderful one, Underground Books, in Sacramento, California. I want our books to be on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all that. You don't have to sell your book. It's really important to say that, but, um, but I, I want to go there. I want our family stories to be available. And my goal is to write and self-publish a book a year on a different family line every year. That's my goal. First edition books, and, you know, if I come across new information, I'll put it in a second edition book. So those are my personal goals. And to encourage people to do the same. To me, I hear all these these genealogy friends of mine who have these wonderful stories, and I always kind of, you know, do you want some help in getting that book started? Because it's just so fabulous. And I hate to think that if something happens to you, your family will never know that story. And so writing a book every year, I mean, that takes a lot of focus. Yep. And and energy and commitment. Yep. And so does your book quality suffer because you're completing these books so quickly? Um. Well, I was really fortunate that two of my books, Finding Otho, The Search for Our Enslaved Williams Ancestors, which takes place in Maryland, and Finding Daisy, From the Deep South to the Promised Land, both won book awards. The first one, Finding Otho, won an award from the Northern California Publishers and Authors Group, as well as the International. This was so thrilling the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society. Oh, my gosh, that was so amazing. And I traveled to Maryland to pick up the award. It was just, I was all, anyway. And then a couple of months ago, Finding Daisy won an award. A Phyllis Wheatley, who was the first African-American to write a book of poetry, right? Wasn't that like in 1860 or something like that? So that was very cool. That was so unexpected. And uh, so it doesn't have to mean substandard. Uh, again, if you go through the, uh, in my Solving Your Mystery chapter of, of each of these books, I do make suggestions that you get people that will edit it, that will proofread it, that will help you with the layout of your book to make sure that the actual printed book is a quality book. Um, the first book, I did the best I could. But I'm really proud, and I'm proud of it. I love all the stories in the first book, and it's very easy to read and all that stuff. But as far as the technical aspects of book writing, um, 
you know, and, and so I made improvements for the second edition. There you go. That's the point of really making that first edition versus second edition um, issue come out to play. Get the book written first. Yes, do your best. Get some people to review it. Get some people that know how to write a book to, to do it. Yes, do the best you can. But if there's, some, there's always mistakes, even with a publisher, even with a publisher, there's still mistakes. And you can correct those in a second edition in a few years. So, yeah, no, book quality doesn't have to suffer if you follow all those steps. But you also chose to self-publish rather than to submit a proposal to one of the big publishing companies to publish your book. So tell us why did you choose to self-publish instead of getting a publisher? I am a racehorse, and I don't like to wait when I don't have to. Oh, okay. Publishers, I have to get this done, Bernice, and people may not know, but publishers are not just waiting on the corner for your book. You have to, it's it's work. Like you you said, you have to uh, write a proposal. You have to send in the, the information that you want to write about. It takes way too long to get a book edited and printed for a publisher. For me, that doesn't mean other people can't do that. Uh, it depends on what your ultimate goals are. If your ultimate goals are to be on the, what is it, the number one bestseller list, and all that, it's easier to do that if you have a publisher. Certainly still the mentality is is if you have a publisher, the work is going to be better. I don't think that's necessarily true, but it could be true. And that's fine if if people want to go that route. But honestly, um, and and I'm not in it for the money, but it would help to help pay for some of the genealogy trips. But when you have a publisher, you might get, $2 $2 out of a $20 book. I mean, so that's, that's a slight issue. And again, they still make typographical mistakes sometimes. Bottom line for me, I don't have the time to wait for a publisher. And then they want to change what you want to write too. Sometimes if it's not an African-American oriented publisher and your work comes from a different culture than they are used to and they want to change the quality of your book and you've signed a contract that allows them to do that. So for me personally, that doesn't work in my solving your mystery chapter. I have a lot of options that people can consider. You do not have to self publish. You can use the photo book. um, And I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's, you know, Walgreens, Costco, Shutterfly, they have options for your photographs that you take on your smartphone or your camera. You can upload them to these companies and then type whatever you want. So you can make a 20-page book on each of your ancestors. That's another option besides publishing. It's a lot easier. It's a beautiful, hardbound color book. You can uh, hand them to your family. Or with Walgreens, just have it print across the country and have your family member pick it up at that local Walgreens. So for me, those are the reasons that I've chosen to self-publish um, I'm familiar and I'm comfortable with computers since I worked with them since the early 80s. And for me, I like control. <laughs> I like the control. And I do, though, have like uh, Gene Cooper um, from University of Virginia who was kind enough to edit my Finding Daisy book. And I'm going to see if she'll edit the one that's in process right now. 
So as long as we get professionals to help us, I think you can have uh, a good self-published book. And I, I really like what you said about the aim is to create a first edition. If you can get that first edition written, you can always go back and add additional information. But it's better than having all of that information you have on your ancestors stuck in a binder that nobody yep. will see. At least right. you are making that effort to leave a legacy for your family members. And as you said, if you can make a little money to pay for those genealogy trips, then do that. <laughs> but at least it's writing, it's telling the story. Now, mm-hmm. some people may think, well, I can't tell the story if I can't make this book 400 pages. How long mm. should a book be? Mm. Well, Bernice, I think about what you said a couple of times to me. Um, it, it, in a lot of respects, I think a focus in most, in all respects, I think focusing your efforts on a few things is better. So my my books are the shortest one was 225 pages, and the longest, well, it was 400 and something, but it should have been longer. I. Anyway, um, I had so much to say. That sounds so much information in the Finding Oso book. But I like a comment that I've heard you use in the past, and that's being in the weeds. So you don't have to put absolutely everything in a book, but it depends on the kind of book that you want to make. If you have one research question that you're studying, then a book doesn't have to be that long. It, it doesn't. It can be whatever you want. Books. And, and especially if you're writing these only for your family, you don't have to. In fact, oh, my first book, here's a good example. The Ancestors Are Smiling is my first book. It's actually part of the Otho Project, but it's all the descendants of the slave Otho Williams that I wrote about in the second book. Each chapter in my first book is a different family member. And so I'm writing about 20 pages for each descendant of Otho Williams. Everybody can do that because you can put pictures in there, you can put text, and I think that's an interesting way to do it. So when you talk about how long should a book be, it can be as short as you want. I know people that made a book that's you know less than 100 pages, and you give it to your family. Um, Again, money. If you're interested in the money angle, you make a heck of a lot more money with a shorter book. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> if that's an issue, and so I do. In my mind, I now strive to keep my books to 300 pages for that purpose. But it, it's you don't have to write 400 pages at all. One to 200 pages is fine. And again, think of 20 pages per person. So let's say you write about your, your, your who, whoever that who was in your survey, and you find their parents. Well, maybe you want to write about the parents that you found. Where did they live and all that stuff. So they're all connected to your who person, but you might want to write about those parents and what their lives were like. You might want to write about your who's children and what their lives are like. So this is how the book can be built out. And writing 10 to 20 pages for each person 
will easily give you, you know, 100 to 200 page book, which is fine. Absolutely fine. So let's just make sure that everyone is willing to take the the survey, right? That's your action step, folks. The survey. Do you want to go over that one more time before we close out so that they could understand what they need to be working on? Sure. Sounds good. So the survey is, again, remember, you've got a magic wand. Pretend that you are free to make this decision to find out and spend a lot of time. This is, this is where the passion comes in and the hours of studying this one person. Who do you want to dedicate some hours, some weeks to study? Who is your person that you want to really delve into? Why are they important to you? The why is going to keep you passionate about finishing the job if your why is strong enough. Okay? Where did your person live? And again, write a chapter or information on how black folks were treated there to get an idea. How many slaves were there? How many free? That type of thing. What do you already know about that person? List all the things. For the little survey I said, put down three things. But when you uh, research and get back into your, your binders and everything, pull out every single document that you have collected on that person and add it to the what you already know list. And then what additional items are you burning to learn about that ancestor? And for many African-Americans, the first one is, who was the slave owner? Because you have to know about the slave owner and where they lived and, you know, what their commerce was to know about your ancestor. A lot of times that's important. So what three to five questions? Keep it short. Keep it focused. That's the key. Focus, focus, focus on a few things to make a first edition book and print it. <laughs> the gener- excuse me, the destination is important, not the journey now. Ooh, I know it's a terrible thing to say. As a 60-plus-year-old person, it's not about the journey anymore. It's about getting it done, getting it done and into the hands of my family today, if I can. Okay. It's but about getting, getting it, it done, folks. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's doable. It really is doable, and I, and I so encourage people, just try it. Try to set up that book template. Try to start you know, copying and pasting what you've already collected, what you already know, into the correct chapters. Just try that aspect today, because once you do, you'll see, oh, that's a place where I can actually put the stuff I find, and I can actually write about how I feel. I don't have to handwrite it in that notebook. And then forget what page I hand wrote it on <laughs> because I have a, a computer program. And I know not everyone is into computers. Those of you who aren't comfortable with computers, ask your, your children, your grandchildren, a young person to um, listen to this tape, listen to this interview again and the steps, and ask them to help you put together this uh, book template on your computer and show you how to use it and show you how you can start entering into it, uh, information into it, your thoughts, your feelings, your facts, so that you can write your book. So don't be scared if you're not comfortable with computers. Get a younger person, maybe, um, who knows and will help you, because you'll, you'll be so proud of yourself when you do it. So I would like to just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Award-winning... Kathy Lynn Marshall, 
for sharing with us today Quick Start Writing Your Ancestor Story. For everyone else, please check out all of the books that Kathy has written, and also check out my book, Tracing Their Steps, a memoir. I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you, Bernice. It was great. <laughs>